Well, hello and good morning to everybody. Glad to have you a part of Pathway and what we are doing in these days and specifically right now looking into God's Word. Welcome also to those of you who are checking this out online. Glad that uh, you're tuned in with us as well. Today we're continuing on in our sermon series, More Than a Feeling, that we've been in a couple of weeks now. We started this off by talking about lament. Lament is something that perhaps you've never really given a whole lot of thought to until this sermon series came along. Or if you weren't with us a couple of weeks ago, I'd encourage you to go online and check this out. This is something that is very, very useful to us as believers in Christ. Last week we talked about hope. Today we are moving on to a new topic. And we're going to continue on with the series for a couple more weeks yet. As we get going, I'm wondering if you would describe yourself as a person who has a lot of fears. We know that there are fears out there that a lot of people have, things like the fear of heights or fear of snakes, fear of hair, that's a real fear, fear of belly buttons is a real fear, fear of hairy belly buttons, that, that's not a real fear as far as I know, but it kind of feels like it should be one, don't you think? Yeah. My oldest daughter, she had a great fear when she was very little. She had a fear of people in costumes. Yeah, this was a real fear that she had, and if she would see somebody in a costume, she would usually run screaming from the room, which always made Thanksgiving extra fun, you know, when that would happen. And I remember one occasion, we actually as a family went to the Mall of America, which wasn't that far from our house back in those days. And uh, we went, and it was a few days before Halloween, and unbeknownst to us, they actually on that day were holding a special trick-or-treat event in the mall. And so people started showing up in their costumes, and because it's the mall, it wasn't, didn't tend to be Huey, Dewey, and Louie that were showing up. It was Dracula and Darth Vader and Frankenstein was showing up, and Melissa wasn't having any part of this. She's like, Daddy, why does that man have pins in his neck? And I'm like, honey, he, he, he's just, they aren't real. She's like, then why does he have them? He's pretending to be somebody else. You mean there are more people like that? <laughs> she, was, she was out reasoning me in that, and she'd duck under her blankie in her stroller to kind of hide from it all. But that was kind of an unusual sort of experience that we had with her. And it probably shouldn't surprise us all that much to find the fact that there are fears that people encounter, because we all do, Right? Don't we all have certain fears that we have to process our way through at different times and different circumstances in life? It seems to me that we do. In fact, you have some that you need to wrestle with, no doubt. Maybe you have the fear of, of being alone. That's a pretty substantial fear among people in our world today. Or maybe you have the fear of your spouse walking out on you. Or having one of your children or more than one of your children going wayward from you and being estranged from you and running off or estranged from the faith and every effort that you make to bring them back just pushes them further away. Maybe you have a fear of the pandemic. A fear of maybe losing your job or not getting it back to the level that it was before the pandemic struck. Maybe you have fears related to your health. Maybe there's a diagnosis that's come your way that you've had to process your way through. 
Maybe you have a fear of the direction that our country is headed and what's it going to be like and what's it going to look like down the road. There are all sorts of different things. It seems like almost anything at all can touch off fears inside of us. And so it's important that we might consider this whole topic today to know how we might handle our way through it when they come up because it's going to come up. So if it's inevitable, do we just sort of grin and bear it, just try to get through it until the circumstance goes away so the fear subsides? Or is there a way over it? Very important question. And one we're going to be thinking about today. But before we get into the solution, or whether or not there is a solution, I think we need to start, first of all, with this question, which is, why do we fear? Why do we fear? That's the first of the questions that I want to address with you here today. A definition of fear will tell you that you become afraid because you encounter something that's dangerous or something that would cause you harm. And as far as it goes, that's good, that's right, but it seems a little bit incomplete because I think that we would all say that there are circumstances that are dangerous that we find ourselves in, but yet you don't find yourself to be fearful in that situation because there's another component to it. And that other component has everything to do with your ability to have influence in the situation that you're in. And that can change the way that you process it. I've been to the Grand Canyon a few different times, and one of the things that I like to do while I'm there is to walk kind of up close to the edge. There are no rails in many of the places. And it's a dangerous situation to be sure, but I don't feel afraid typically there because I have the ability to influence how close I actually get to the edge. And if I don't get super close, then I don't particularly feel fearful about that. I have some influence over it that is shaping the way that I'm processing it. However, on one of those trips, I also had a toddler with me. And that was a very different situation because I didn't have complete influence over what the toddler was going to do. So I tried to gain influence. I grabbed the toddler by the wrist and cut off circulation to her fingers, <laughs> pretty much, right? Why? So I could have some influence over the situation so that my fear level might be reduced. So the danger also, of course, would be reduced as well. Now, strangely enough, there are times when we do just the opposite. Instead of doing the thing that would, that would cause us some sort of peace in the midst of a time that would be dangerous or would be sinful, what we do, instead of running the other direction, we walk right up to the edge. We get our toes right over the edge. We look in. We like to see what's in there. And if what we see is in there looks pleasurable enough, we go ahead and jump in so that we might experience it. So we might have the full pleasure of what is there. We've been warned about it, but we do it anyway. And we end up in a place where all of a sudden we find that we've lost control, where we've given the influence that we otherwise might have been able to have in the situation. We've given it over to someone or something else, which inevitably is going to cause fear to rise up in us because now we don't have the ability to have influence in the situation that we're in. And so we find ourselves fearful. And we've put ourselves in that place because of the way that we've chosen to act or react. In talking to people who knew about this sort of 
path that they should be on, but were straying from it. Isaiah wrote this about these people and the paths they were taking. They have turned them into crooked roads. No one who walks along them will know peace. Anxiety and stress and fear are things that are going to come when we choose paths of self-interest and self-indulgence. And when we take those paths, we're denying the purposes of God that He would have for us when we choose to enter into sinful paths. In fact, we take it a step beyond that. We're actually choosing to take the offensive. We're choosing to be in the place of God because we're the ones who are setting ourselves up to make all of the decisions apart from perhaps how God has led us and directed us. We see this at work all the time in the world that is around us today. Everyone, everybody wants to be God over the great social issues of our time. Everybody wants the ability and the authority to say when life begins and when it should end or in what manner it should end. We want to be in charge of deciding or making the decision that, that gender is, you know, whatever we would want it to be. Or that we can say what marriage is and, and who it's for. And on and on it goes. We're choosing to set ourselves up in that position. The impulse that's at work in all of those scenarios and others like them are all the same. We are embracing the satanic offer that was made in the Garden of Eden when Satan said, you will be like God. It's the same thing. We're setting ourselves up to take over. Adam and Eve ended up fearful as a result. And it sets us up to do the same thing. Now I may say, well, Pastor Jeff, that's the culture. That's what's around us. It would be different among Christians. But you see, we've got our own issues. There's a cultural Christianity that's infected the church in so many ways, and it's promoting this mindset that, that God loves you so much, and if all you do is just say yes to God, then everything's going to be fine. You're going to be safe and secure, and blessing upon blessing is going to come your way. And so you say your yes to God, and then we find people in different levels of somewhere between irritation and resentment for the fact that, well, I said my yes to God, and everything isn't as I want it to be. What happened? We set ourselves up to be God. We've put ourselves in the place where it needs to happen the way I wanted, and we're turning God into some sort of vending machine that all we do is pop in a request for what we want, and He's obligated to pump it out based on the buttons that we've pressed or the desires that we've expressed. So, you might ask, well, how does that produce fear? Well, if we're choosing to live in such a way that we're God, then we're living in such a way that He's not God. And to people in that sort of situation, the Apostle Paul said that they are without hope and without God in the world. And that's a fearful place to be because even though you might be able to deny it for a time or push it away and out of your mind for a time, eventually you're going to come face to face with the fact that you're moving toward a future apart from hope. And when that dawns on you, when that realization comes, when you recognize where you are and the direction you're headed, you're going to end up in a place of fear because you have no ability to influence where it is you're going. And so that's where we find ourselves. 
so often. Now, mercifully, nobody is stuck in that position. There is a way out. In fact, one of the dominant messages of the Bible is that we can overcome that sort of fear. Paul again, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. That's good news. How do I find that? How do I live in that? That's the second question. Why do we fear? Okay. Little handle on that. How do we overcome fear? Is the next big question to ask. And to answer this, we're going to turn to someone who knew a lot about fear. His name is David. And I'd invite you to turn, if you would, to Psalm 27. Because we're going to spend the rest of our time here in Psalm 27, which is written by David, who's a guy who has a lot to say on this subject, because David was a guy who did sort of both of the things we've just been talking about. He was a guy who tried to usurp God's authority. He went his own way. He did his own thing. He lived for himself. He set himself up essentially to be God and ignored the purposes of God, and it did not go well for him. But he's also a guy that we find is a man after God's own heart. But in the midst of that, he's facing circumstances that are as difficult and challenging as any of us would ever face and ones that definitely would incline you toward fear. And so he's a guy that we can look to who's been there who can help us in our own context, our own circumstance here today. So he's the guy we're looking at. And there are a few specific steps that we can take to overcome fear that he lays out for us right here in Psalm 27. So I'm going to give these two. You can jot them down if you would like. The first is to live confidently in God. Right off the bat, you can see David's confidence. Verse 1, look at it. It says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? He's basically saying that whatever comes my way, I'm good to go. He's saying, not because of what I'm bringing to the table, but because of what somebody else is doing on my behalf that is leading me to the place where I'm finding that peace. Some years ago, I went on a mission trip to Alaska. And it was beautiful. It was amazing. It was very memorable for many different reasons. One of the reasons it was memorable was because of what I think of as the shrinking plains. Here's what I mean by that. We took a few different planes to get to this very, very remote village way up north in Alaska that we were working in, but our first flight was a normal jetliner into Anchorage. Our next flight had six seats. Our next flight had three, and one of them was for the pilot. So those were the shrinking planes that we were on. I mean, this plane that we took, the last flight that we took, it was so small that one of the pre-check rituals or one of the the pre-flight requirements was that all of us had to get on this old rusty bathroom scale to see how much we weighed to make sure we wouldn't be too heavy so the plane could actually get off the ground. All right, that's, that's how small this plane was and uh, how embarrassing it was as, as well to fly on this flight, all right? So we were told, this is just a single engine, you know, one single prop plane that we were getting on. We were told it was necessary to go through all of these steps because the runways were so short. The one we were taking off from was very short, and the one that we were going to be landing on, we were told, was even shorter. 
the pilot described it as what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to fly in. We're just going to have to get over the hills that are at the end of the runway. Then we're going to have to descend very quickly and get on the ground as fast as we can so we don't slam into the hills on the other end of the runway. He said it's the shortest airstrip in Alaska, which I don't think was true. I think by this point he was actually yanking our leg because, because he was so much enjoying seeing the fear on our faces at that point. And with that, apparently I passed the bathroom scale test because he told me to go and strap into the co-pilot seat, which I did. And sort of without any fanfare, all of a sudden the propeller is spinning and, and he lets off the brake and we start zipping down the runway. And while we're on our way down, he leans over to me and he yells, try not to touch anything. <laughs> and I'm like, don't worry, I'm not touching anything here. And uh, with that, we were off and we were on our way. Now, you would think that's going to be a very fear-producing sort of scenario. And there were some fears, but it was pretty much confined between before we took off and after we landed. <laughs> All right. That was the window. That we, no, not really. You would think that. And there was some, you know, you, you walk up and you see the size of the plane and you're like, I'm getting on that. You're starting to process it a little bit and some, some fear kind of starts to, to come in a little bit. But to be honest with you, by the time we flew, we weren't fearful. Now, that's not because we saw, oh, well, it's, I guess this plane's in better shape than what we thought. I guess it's this. No, it had nothing to do with anything that was changing in our perspective or I'm, I'm more courageous now. The thing that made the difference was the pilot. This was obviously a guy who had tons of experience He'd flown this particular route many times. He'd landed at that airstrip many times. There were so many things that were true about him that gave us confidence. Not because we had more confidence in anything in ourselves. Not because we were bringing anything more to the table, but because what he was bringing to the table made all the difference. And that's exactly what's going on here with David. He's finding tremendous confidence in the circumstances that he is in, as dire as they were, not because he is a stronger person, he has greater intestinal fortitude now. No, it's because of God. It's because of what God is doing. He keeps hammering that home. Verse 2, when the wicked advance against me to devour me, it's my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. He says what they're trying to do to me is really going to happen to them. Verse 3, though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. He's saying that even if his enemies try to kill him, no worries, God's got it under control. Even if they come out against him, even if it looks as though any way of escape is being blocked, He's not concerned. Why not? Because God is with him. And here's the thing that makes this powerful coming from David. He'd been there. He'd experienced his enemies coming against him. He's not just saying, if that ever were to happen to me, even though it's just some sort of hypothetical situation now, I think I'll be good. No, he's saying, I've been there. I've lived this. And God was with me. This is not just the power of positive thinking. This is the power of godly thinking that is going on here with David. Now notice what's keeping him from falling into this fear. He's celebrating the things that God has done. He's celebrating the fact that God is his salvation, that God is his stronghold. He's holding on to those things. It's God's consistency in the past that provides confidence in the present. It's God's consistency in the past that is providing the comfort in the present. 
That's true for David. And that can be true for you too. In fact, it should be true for you too. You can think back to things that God has done, the ways that he has provided for you. Like your salvation. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you too could say, verse 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Of whom shall I be afraid? Whom shall I fear? He's my stronghold. Of who should I be afraid? We can be in the very same place. I'd encourage you to take some time to sit down and write out some, some notes. Remind yourself of things that God has done on your behalf and write them down. Or do this as a couple with your spouse if you're married. Or with your family. Let the kids chime in as well. In fact, this would be a great exercise for Thanksgiving. Instead of going around the table and everybody telling one thing that they're thankful for while the food gets cold, go around and have everybody share one thing where they've perceived God at work in their life, where they've experienced God's goodness. Write it down. Post it on the fridge. Tuck it into your Bible. And refer to it often, and especially when those difficult times come, that you might be reminded of the things that God has done for you, that where God has been with you, and it will help to sustain you in the midst of the things that otherwise might leave you fearful. That's what David's doing. That's what this psalm is. It's a recounting of what God has done. He's bolstering himself up in the midst of what otherwise would be fearful because he's seen God at work. He's living confidently in God. That's one step in overcoming fear. A second is to find shelter in God. Find shelter in God. Imagine for a moment that I could grant you one wish. Any wish. What would you wish for? New car? A better job? Shorter sermons? I mean, what would you wish for if you had any? I think I'd wish for more wishes is what I'd wish for. But I don't know what you'd wish for. I do know what David would wish for. Because he tells us right here in verse 4. One thing I ask from the Lord. Here's my one wish. This only do I seek. That I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. When David says that the one thing he wants is to hang out in the house of the Lord, that's interesting because the house of the Lord wasn't all that appealing. When we think about this place that's got the gold and the fine linen and all that, that hasn't been built yet. So what he's talking about is basically a tent. Well, why is he so enamored with a tent? He's not enamored with a tent. He's enamored with the person who fills the tent. It's not, about, it's not about the beauty of the place. It's about the beauty of the one who fills the place. The beauty of the Lord. David knew the place he needed to be most of all was in fellowship and connection with God. That's where his hope is found. That's where his strength is found. That's the point he's making as he goes on in verse 5. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe. In his dwelling, he will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted. I will sing in, uh, above my enemies who surround me at his sacred tent. I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to 
the Lord. In the face of the dangers of his enemies trying to destroy him, David is not drawing up battle plans. He's not planning escape routes. He's not giving his best Braveheart speech. There's no rocky music going on in the background. In fact, the only music that you hear is worship music. It's praise music. That's what he's doing. In the face of his enemies, he's singing praise to God. He's worshiping God. That's fantastic. And as a result, it's helping him to rise over his fears. You might not have thought of that as a plan when fears rise up around you. This is perfect. The next time that you feel anxious, that you feel afraid, try worship. Put on your favorite worship music. Listen to the lyrics and you might just be surprised how God through His Spirit meets you in that place and in that moment to help you with the peace that you need and the perspective that you need to rise over the circumstances that are otherwise threatening you. Praise, worship. Who would have thought? Well, David did. He's finding shelter. Just as he's been living confidently, in God. And then there's one more thing when it comes to overcoming fear, and that's to wait patiently on God. That's what he says. This psalm began with David's bold declaration of his confidence in God. It also acknowledged that there are challenges that come even when we put our hope in God. And then he comes full circle when we come back to around to the end of this, that there's no challenge or design of the enemy that can shake his trust. Look at it, verse 13. I remain confident of this, despite all these other things that have happened, despite all my enemies who've risen up against me, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. There may be times when we don't see how all the pieces fit together, and David didn't either, but we learn through him that that doesn't need to shake our confidence because we don't have to see every step of the journey in order to know that there's one who is guiding us along it. David's acknowledging just that. He's acknowledging that there are times when it's like, God, why aren't you here to bail me out right now in this moment, in this place, at this time, in this circumstance? But he comes to understand that even if he doesn't see it or experience according to his timetable, it doesn't mean that God isn't there, verse 14 David advises, wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Waiting can be hard because we live in a culture that wants everything now, 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 now. But even though we want everything now, God knows that everything we want now, we don't need now. In fact, it's in our best interest not even to have it now. Because the truth is, there are benefits that come to us from waiting. One of those benefits is that it aligns us with the timetable that God actually has in store for us for that circumstance, whatever it might happen to be. And also, just because there's a benefit that comes to us in waiting. Because when we are forced to wait, it forces us to contemplate God. 
and the deliverance that we're looking for, and so on. When we're made to wait, it creates a, a disequilibrium in our mind, and it creates a sort of tension. And the tension continues to focus our attention on God. Because we're wondering, when God? We're probably crying out, how about now, God? This would be a great time for you to come and deliver me from whatever this circumstance is. It keeps us in tune and in touch with God. On the flip side, if we just immediately receive all that we want at any moment, God again just becomes relegated to being this spiritual vending machine. We pop in our request, out comes what we want. We say, this is my choice, and you've got to do it. Waiting teaches us something that we otherwise would not learn. David was a guy whose life easily could have been gripped by fear. Instead, we find him thriving in the midst of circumstances that would otherwise cause all of us to be quaking in our boots. And the reason isn't because the circumstance went away. The reason he's thriving is because he's living confidently in God. Because he's finding his shelter in God. Because he's waiting patiently on God. That provides David with everything that he needs. That has David in a place where he's overcoming his fears. And it'll put you in the same place as well. Heavenly Father, <clears throat> thank you for this testimony of David. Wow, so powerful. To see one who's been everywhere that we may end up, the places we're fearful of going, the circumstances we're fearful of experiencing, the unknowns, wondering what's around this bend. For so many of us, our fear comes because we can't see around the corner, because we can imagine things that possibly could happen. So many of our fears are things we worry about that are never realized. The vast majority fears that are never realized. But we can do strange things in our mind that put us in bad places. So Lord, we would ask that even though there are circumstances that rise up, that challenge us, through our health, through our work, through our family, whatever it might be, I pray that we would learn this lesson of Psalm 27. Maybe that we'd read this psalm over and over and over. Maybe once a day this week, every, every day. To remind us of the fact that you're there. That you are our light and our salvation. Whom shall I fear? You're the stronghold of our life. Of whom shall we be afraid? No one. Lord, help us to live confidently in you. To find our shelter in you and to wait patiently on you. We pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.